You're listening to episode 15 of the Film Festival Secrets Podcast. I'm Chris Holland, and today I'm talking with Joe Beyer, who's the Director of Digital Initiatives at the Sundance Film Festival. When the Atlanta Film Festival and I started our uh, crowdfunding campaign to help bring more filmmakers to the festival, I knew I wanted to talk to Joe because uh, among other things that he does at Sundance in the artist services department, uh, Joe helped develop the partnership that Sundance has with, with Kickstarter, uh, the crowdfunding leading company out there. And uh, since 2011, he's helped more than 90 projects uh, successfully raise over $2.8 million total. Uh, so he knows a little bit, a little something about it, and he also actually recently started his own crowdfunding campaign, uh, this ambitious project to purchase 50 acres of land in Arizona, it's called Rex Ranch, uh, with the ultimate goal of turning that land into a retreat for artists in a community arts center. Joe and I caught up on Skype earlier this week, which I hope will explain some of the audio quality issues. I apologize in advance for that. Um, we talked about his work with Sundance Kickstarter, the origins of the Rex Ranch project, and crowdfunding best practices. This is a long one. Uh, settle in, and uh, we'll start off with some of Joe's thoughts on how crowdfunding has changed uh, indie film and the indie film world over the, over the last few years. Sure. I mean, I guess I feel as if this phenomenon of the last couple of years in particular is probably the third time that I've felt this kind of shift, you know, in the business. And, and you know, I'm old enough now that I <laughs> can say that and it, and it doesn't feel stupid to me uh, <laughs> because I, you know, I mean, it's it's been now so many cycles that I've been able to be a part of and see. And this one is so exciting because I feel like, you know, we're all a part of it. It wasn't just a change in the technology behind the scenes or um, something a little more invisible. I mean, I, I really believe we'll look back and this will be such a shift, but crowdfunding to me and social funding is the cornerstone of a slightly larger movement that I think it all represents, which is just this incredible breakdown of the barriers and control between fans and creators of any kind. And um, that's what I feel is most, you know, seismic about crowdfunding is it's the, it's the rocket that led along this direct to fan movement and legitimized the idea that artists could connect and get their work in front of people could be rewarded for it. We can argue about the, the extent to which everyone benefits from that type of success, but but certainly it's changed everything. I mean, I, I would really be shocked if people didn't put it in retrospect in the same category as the two other changes that are most notable, I think, in, in the recent history, which were the mini majors that developed out of indie films success and are now gone. So that era didn't last. Then you had the technology shift of nonlinear editing and digital uh, cameras, which, you know, is still in play and has changed everything. And crowdfunding will probably be, I think, you know, in that mix someday. And uh, it'll be fun to remember when it was, you know, a concept that we were arguing over as if it had no future. 
it's funny. Um, a lot of people that I talked to at our organization were nervous about, about doing it and not so sure. Like, what is this Kickstarter thing? And is it a real, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's analogous to online dating or online, you know, we, now we just call it dating, right? Nobody really <laughs> thinks of it in terms of online dating anymore. It's just what we do. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of wonder if that this won't just be something we all get used to and, you know, we don't call it online shopping anymore. It's Cyber Monday notwithstanding, it's just shopping, right? So um, I guess yeah. I, I'm interested in, in culturally, you know, if you've seen sort of a difference in the way filmmakers feel about the future of their projects when they know that instead of having to go hat in hand to beg you know, Daddy Warbucks for a million dollars to make their movie, they know that they can, um, if they, they play their cards right, they can build a community of people who like them and their work and, and go get it directly from the fans. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't, I would think that you would agree that the, the biggest freak out that's happening in the creative community is the realization that there are going to be two types of artists moving into the future. Those that have this direct, transparent uh, relationship with their fan base and those that choose uh, for any number of totally valid reasons to stay within the traditional, um, you know, uh, mechanic of having someone else present and sell their work to the world. And you can feel in your own friends and your own creative uh, community the tension of trying to decide which type of artist you're going to be. And certainly there was a class of person that led the way because they were unafraid, they were almost excited and tantalized by this idea of having direct relationships with their fans, and then there are artists for whom it's never going to work. And I guess my evolution watching it over the last couple of years has been how valid each one of those camps are. And, you know, the minute you mention crowdfunding to someone as an alternative to maybe a way that they're trying to finance their work... Um, you're going to get one of two responses, and if they're against it, it's a strong response. And I used to try and talk those people into it, you know, and make them see the um, positive elements that I saw. But the truth is that it's a complex thing to turn yourself from a person who makes things into a brand that makes things. And, you know, the people that are doing this and are trying it are realizing that they're taking over not only the tasks that distributors and publicists and agents used to manage for them, but they're really taking over the philosophy of branding, you know, where everything does need to be personal and from them. And they don't, they are the front people for their own work. And it's a tough job and it takes a lot of energy and it takes a, a shit ton of courage uh, to be perfectly honest about every step of it because it's an extremely vulnerable thing. And, you know, uh, fortunately, people, meaning those that do give to these campaigns so far, um, you know, Zach Braff, Spike Lee, notwithstanding, they generally speaking have supported this idea. You know, the fact that so many sites are, you know, funding every single type of conceivable um, idea means that, you know, people like it. And so that's the part that artists can walk into is the fan base does want to have, I think, to a certain extent, these relationships directly with people who make things. Because 
it makes enjoying the content, you know, sort of special and different. And, you know, everything's the same in our world. You know, all the TV shows look the same. The blockbusters look the same. When individuals step out of the line and present themselves in these ways, I think it's just purely interesting, you know, to people. I do. You touched you you touched on Zach Braff and Spike Lee, so I don't, I don't have to. Uh, so, um, so, so I, let's talk about that. I mean, <clears throat> here are two widely known people who have made uh, pictures within sort of the traditional structure, and you know, as soon as they try to embrace sort of the the democratic way of doing it, they get their hands slapped for being disingenuous or, you know, you don't need to do this, so you shouldn't do this. Is there, is there any validity to, to that sort of, you know, gut reaction that here you are trying to take over the pure spirit of our, of our Kickstarter or, you know, how do you feel about that? I don't know. I've, I've tried to express my thoughts on this while it was happening because I didn't want to, you know, wait to see who the winners were before having an opinion. And, um, I'll say two quick things. One is, Assholes are the loudest on the internet, and so, you know, that's what you hear about, and, and I've seen enough campaigns to know that some hater comes out of the woodwork and makes themselves known uh, pretty predictably. And then the second thing I'll say is my friend Mike Mohan, who I think you know as well, a great guy, uh, right in the middle of the early days of the Zach Braff controversy, posted a wonderfully simple idea on his Facebook page which was he didn't much care for Zach Braff's film at that point, the only film he had made. He really didn't um, feel compelled to support the Kickstarter, you know, with his own dollars, but he sure was thankful that he had just made it possible for his own mother to understand what Kickstarter was. And that's a metaphor for what, you know, happened, but that's true. Zach Braff and Spike Lee did more for the creative independent film community by publicizing and making it understood what the thing was than any of us probably could have done with our small celebrity statuses. And so in the end, it was a net positive. And I think anyone who looks at it and concludes that it was a, a negative or a loss for the community is really not thinking very objectively about what happened. And so I hope that they're seen and I've always supported both of them. I gave to both them their campaigns primarily because I wanted to see how they would be interacting with fans. And Spike, you know, was extremely interesting in that he, you could see the guy learning about it while it was happening. And it was clear he was involved and it was clear Zach was involved. And, you know, these weren't agents running these campaigns. And that's why ultimately they worked. And you've seen the other versions of that. And, you know, there are campaigns that have a luster of, you know, management behind them. And those were individual campaigns. So it goes back to my my original point about what makes this so great, I think, is that it's so human. You know, when it when it works, it's human and it's not formula and you can't predict these things very well. And it's interesting. Very true. Um, I backed the Spike Lee campaign. Um, as I back a lot of campaigns with, with a single dollar, because for a lot of campaigns, I'm just like you. I just want to see how they're, what it looks like from the backer's perspective, what they say in the private backer, and how that all unfolds. So it's super, super interesting. Um, Dude, you're the unsung hero that makes it all work. 
it's not the people that drop a thousand dollars. It's the adventurous people like you that back multiple campaigns with small amounts. I mean, that's the bread and butter of the machine. And, you know, that's wonderful. I mean, I, I feel connected to every campaign that I've given to, and I don't tend to give a lot. You know, the upper level for me is like a $50 donation, but I want to drop smaller amounts on more campaigns that I find interesting and people that I find interesting and worth supporting. One, one thing that's worth mentioning that I don't think a lot of people realize is that when you back a campaign for, for any dollar amount, even one single dollar, uh, the Kickstarter referral machine kicks in and it'll send emails to all your friends who follow you on Kickstarter and say, Joe just backed this, you know, this campaign. It doesn't tell them how much you backed for. It just says that you backed. And I don't know about you, but when I see other people on Kickstarter backing interesting projects and I go, Hey, my friend Joe just backed this film I've never heard of. Like, what's that all about? It, it is a, a, powerful form of endorsement well gosh i feel flattered that you that that comes your way i mean the social functionality on kickstarter has been interesting they had a lot of great hopes i think for it and myself uh you know maybe backing too many campaigns i felt a little <laughs> overwhelmed by all the um information that i was receiving and so i quieted it down a little bit um but it's the same thing that makes it work if you post it on Facebook or, or Twitter or anywhere else. You know, people um, are interested in their friends, you know, curious projects and ideas and links and articles and chat videos and what have you. You know, I mean, we all gravitate to – I just read in this, um, this great new magazine I've been getting called Orange, mm -hmm. uh, which is about social media – <clears throat> but they had a, a very interesting data analysis that uh, most people now, given the amount of information that we receive, can only pay attention and have meaningful relationships with about 150 people at a time. And obviously that number you know, fluctuates all over the place. People come in and drift out of your life at certain points. But it's an interesting idea that the influence that you're able to process and intake comes from a very small circle in your life. And I think that that probably is true if you think about the way that you pay attention to things, um, you know, normally or instinctually. Yeah, I, I definitely have to, on Kickstarter and elsewhere, segregate my quote-unquote friends into those people I really want to pay attention to and those who I don't mind being acquainted with, but, you know, that's just, just noise to me. So um, it applies everywhere. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your, your work with Sundance, um, you know, what it is that you do there. Tell us, tell us how you got there, for, first of all. How I got to Sundance? Oh, man, it's... Uh... You know, don't have to do the long version. Let's just hear no, the, the, the Chasenotes version. Super. Super lucky, super lucky. That's the first thing I'll say. Um, I had heard and admired about Sundance so much since I went to the festival for the first time, but I had always heard how loyal people were that worked there, and um, it was very difficult, I was told. You know, no one ever left. And so uh, one day after working as a writer for two years, uh, I saw a job listing for assistant to the director, and I thought, oh, man, that's that's a killer job. That's, you know, what a great job. And uh, so I faxed my resume in, and, and John Cooper actually interviewed me the first time. And, um, you know, from that point on, I became a part of something so much larger than myself with such 
amazing opportunities to be impactful with the creative community and artists in general. And, um, you know, and I've just been so lucky that over the years I've, I've been a part of this transition in the industry, which then made my job possible, which was dealing mainly with uh, emerging technologies and, you know, social media before it even had a name and uh, digital distribution before that was even feasible and crowdfunding, you know, always on the edge. And it's not because of my instinct or anyone else at Sundance is that we've been, you know, I think on the forward edge of a lot of these movements, it's because we've had the courage to always listen to our artists and they're always telling us what's next. They're always ahead of us. <clears throat> you can imagine, you know, with all of the alumni that we have, what amazing things they're doing across the world at any given time. And so, you know, crowdfunding was a result of watching our alumni use it before we had a concept of how to bring it into the fold. But, you know, that's the lucky part of, of working at a place like Sundance that is such a magnet for talent, you know, they always tell you what they need and whatever they need is always cutting edge. And so that's, that's really how, you know, uh, I got to be in this job and what I do on a, a daily basis with many talented people is, um, try and support that. And, uh, you know, crowdfunding for us has been a huge win, um, for the alumni and for the Institute, we've gotten to be you know, right in the heart of all of these new financial models. And, and Carrie, our director, is, you know, way ahead, I think, of everyone in terms of anticipating and, and trying to create new ways for the Institute to be supportive. Because as you know, you know, this Kickstarter level of, you know, rewards-based crowdfunding is just the tip of the iceberg now. And there are so many of these new methodologies that have opened up and been legislated, um, being tested right now, that there's a ton more to come. Different versions and different models are the next step for sure. So talk a little bit about um, Sundance's perspective on crowdfunding and, and their participation and their endorsement of certain campaigns. Like, how do you choose who to do that for? Is it just alumni? And, and what happens when <clears throat> you do sort of get involved with a campaign? Yeah, our, our Kickstarter collaboration is based on alumni artist uh, qualifications. So you, you can become eligible for our services, which include, you know, helping you through a campaign's preparation, um, helping you navigate the Kickstarter system specifically. And then obviously, I think the most valuable thing is that we can shine some light on your project through, you know, a million friends, fans and followers that are across all of our little digital footprints. Um, and that's the part that, that probably has the most impact for people. Um, we chose Kickstarter after a competitive review process back when it was, you know, uh, probably half the job to convince people that crowdfunding was anything uh, valuable for our artists. So that was a big part of the early uh, days of this. And at the time, we knew that the, the field would change. And, um, you know, we're coming to the end of our Kickstarter relationship and taking a look at um, how best we can serve our community. And so much has happened since then. And they've been amazing. And, you know, they 10% of the festival slate has been supported by Kickstarter for two years in a row. Um, that's that tells you what type of artist is using Kickstarter. And, and especially in the film category, I think it's been, you know, an exciting mix of, of people. 
And so Sundance, you know, qualifies projects first and foremost by who's involved. And in the beginning, we thought it would be very straightforward, like a director or a writer, you know, representing a project. We, we didn't anticipate, I think, how many producers and actors would also use uh, the system for different types of projects. So to be totally honest, you know, the philosophy is as much help as we can give to alumni artists and projects we try to give. And that varies, and we give precedence to the projects that have come through our labs, our workshops, our film festival alumni. So when you look at our curated page or you see a Kickstarter Facebook post from us, it's most often something that's been directly uh, flowed through or supported by one of our core programs. But it would be foolish and short-sighted of us if we didn't also say in June, for example, oh, we don't have any of those projects. Are we not going to help these projects that are active? No, we're going to try and help everything that we can because we know that people are interested in what our artists are doing and we know that what they're up to is of the highest quality. And so it's a fluid policy that we put in place based on our availability to promote things and also based on who and, and how they're involved in a project. So, you know, I'm very proud that we've supported theater projects and opera projects and book projects and different types of things that our artists were doing um, because if we had been very strict about it, I think that we would have missed many opportunities. For example, we helped promote um, Spike and Zach's projects because they're both notable alumni of the festival. Zach had his film premiere as a director at Sundance. And so we wanted to be a part of helping people know what they were up to. And those projects didn't flow through our services per se, but they were still things that were exciting happening out there. So we we judge things by the opportunity, I guess. And I hope that doesn't sound um, wish-washy because it's a, very, um, it's a very debated internal policy, you know, and we think we're getting it right. We think we're helping as many people as we can. Do you think the audience that comes to Sundance to watch movies, and do you think like the, the bulk of the audience is aware of Kickstarter and, and, and crowdfunding and how those things are shaping the films that they're they're coming to see absolutely i think we've hit the taxi cab status with kickstarter as a as a name and a concept whether or not they understand that there are other platforms that do these things um is not even important kickstarter is both a platform a brand and a verb and being that it means that everyone i think has conceptually some understanding of how it works um, I'm constantly amazed how many people haven't backed a project, haven't experienced it at all, but there's certainly, I think, a broad public awareness. And if you get up to Sundance, you're talking about preaching to the choir of creative people. And if you've been in a creative community, you certainly know what Kickstarter is or Indiegogo or Rally or any of them because you've probably gotten 100 emails you know, a month for the last two and a half years. Yeah, I think uh, the Kickstarter fatigue is definitely real. It is real. And I'll be very honest because I still think that it's something that they need to think about. Kickstarter needs to understand that, that volume game and that chatter game and not that they have to do anything differently, but 
it's a real thing if you're in a creative community that so many people think what they're doing is so great that they all have piled on within the last 18 months. And it used to be very notable if somebody was running a crowdfunding campaign. And now it's definitely the norm. And, you know, it's not just people like you and I that give probably to way more projects on average than than some other people, which is not a sign of anything but our willingness to do it. It's not like other people are bad or anything for not doing that. But we give to a lot of campaigns. And there are people that still find it, I think, they they have a social pressure to give at a certain level instead of letting themselves off the hook a little bit and understanding as I said way earlier in the conversation, that they're the they're the bread and butter that makes the machine go. You know, the fact that you give a dollar or five or ten or twenty is immaterial to the fact that you're a part of it. You've given validation to the person that's doing it. Most of the people that evangelize for projects the most are the ones that give the smallest amount of money. And my theory is that they psychologically feel somehow that they're making up for not giving a large amount. I don't know that I'm right about that. But, you know, it's amazing that the people that, you know, give a little help you amplify and promote that campaign so genuinely um, that their value can't be quantified in in a dollar amount you know who knows what the difference is between all of those thousands of people that jump on those large campaigns who give such a small amount well they're proving the very basic theory of what it is which is the power of the crowd is as mighty as anything and you know it's the small components that make that up and that fan base growing you know, on a daily basis by tens or hundreds of people is what really makes these things work. It's not the people that are willing to dig deep and give, you know, $50 versus $10. Uh, it really is kind of a beautiful thing. You know, it's, it's, it isn't what you give in the amount. It's what you give, honestly, by taking a chance and becoming a part of something. And we all know what it takes. It takes four or five clicks on the computer. And sometimes it takes running to find your wallet and getting out your credit card. You know, it's not insignificant what people do to become a part of these things um, when you think about the minutes that it takes out of their day. But, you know, I'm sure you're running your own campaign right now. I mean, you live and breathe by the number of people that are becoming involved. And so as long as that number is going up, campaigns have a wonderful chance to succeed. And, you know, We'll talk about it maybe later, but I'm learning the opposite as well, that, you know, the the absence of that growth is really, uh, you know, a kind of magic bullet for killing something. Um, and it's difficult to watch both ways. You know, when it's flatlining, it's very hard for the person. And, and Sundance is, you know, always in the position of coaching people and throwing some wet water on their face and saying, get back in the ring. You know, you've got 15 days left. And we've seen wonderful examples of campaigns that have overcome great odds and finished strong and been successful. And it always comes down to the number of people. And, you know, that's what I hope a whole new generation will learn is how much power they hold with that dollar. You know, that dollar is so much mightier than they think it is. And so when they know that they have that power, I hope they'll start dropping it on more campaigns and seeing the fun of being able to support lots of things with very small amounts, you know, which I think is what you enjoy too. 
Absolutely. I uh, contributed to, when I was doing research for our campaign, I looked for any campaigns that were active that were run by film festivals. And, you know, I wasn't super impressed with, with what I found in a lot of cases, but this one little festival that I'd never heard of called the Broad Humor Film Festival, okay. uh, which is a, a festival that spotlights women in comedy. In a little town, broad humor. Okay, we can all get the fun now. Um, in a little town in California, and you know, it was it was not what I would call a super well thought out campaign. Um, the the video was good, and the woman was obviously genuine, and you know, she had a very modest goal. But there weren't a lot of updates, and the um, the levels were were kind of weird. She was offering. Um, physical rewards at very low dollar amounts, which is always, you know, problematic. But, uh, I just, you know, I just liked the vibe of what she was doing. You know, Mm -hmm. it looked like the campaign was, was in real danger. Like they had three days to go and they'd raised two K out of $5,000 goal. And I was just like, you know, what the hell I'm going to give them 10 bucks and I'm going to post on our Facebook page at the Atlanta film festival that here's this little festival that deserves your dollar and we'll see what happens. And and I in no way want to take, you know, credit for, for any of their success, but you know, last minute and the last, you know, day they pulled it out. Like, you know, they got religion or whatever it is that they did and and made it happen. Um, and they funded at at over their $5,000 goal. So yeah, yeah, definitely learned a little lesson there. Um, and I'm, I'm, so happy to like my ten bucks went to to support that festival, oh, yeah. um, even though I'll, I'll I'll never get there, you know. Um, yeah, how much? You'll never, for, you'll never forget the connection you made, and you know what? You'll always pay attention if you see something they're up to, and they probably will never forget you, whether it's specifically or the part that you played. You know, it's like you're a part of it. You're part of the history now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I, how much coaching? To, does Sundance give to artists about sort of the the personal connection that they have to make with, um, you know, their their core fan base? Because I feel like very much that moving the needle for for our campaign is about calling people I know who like me and saying, "Come on now, this is important to me. Give a buck." Absolutely. I mean, time and time again, even after all the creative thinking, all the marketing ideas, all the stunts or or bumper uh, moments that you want to insert into a campaign, at the end of the day, the dollars, I think, flow in most directly from uh, what some people have termed guilting your friends and family and others would consider outreach, I guess. But the truth is, yeah, if you send a form letter to, you know, your whole group, you're probably not going to hear back from people and you're probably not going to compel them. But, you know, certainly if you send a personal letter or a short note and ask them to check it out, you're going to get better results. And one of the things I'm learning painfully on this first, you know, crowdfunding campaign that I've ever put myself in front of, even after all these years, is that you don't have enough time to do everything that you need to do. Um, So if you're trying it alone or you're working with a small group, 
you know, anything that you can do before this happens uh, to reach out to people is going to be so much more uh, painless than what you have to do when it, when you're running it. I find myself every night when I get off the phone with you, I'll I'll return, you know, a dozen emails and schedule some calls for tomorrow and then compose new outreach that I want to send to people that I think would like what I'm doing. But if you think about sending a note, responding to a note, going back and forth just to, you know, engage with somebody, it's it's totally awesome, but it takes so much time. So if I ever did this again, I would do all of that before I even launched, you know, and tell people this is what I'm doing and do it while I wasn't under the pressure of 30 days or less to try and make it happen because, you know, people travel uh, you know, you they have questions, and rightfully so. They want to know about this or that, and you want to inform them and you want to share with them, but it does take time. And I think that when you're talking about this concept of your inner circle, your friends and family that are going to support you almost no matter what, just get ahead of your launch date and reach out to them and tell them what you're doing beforehand and and cue them up so that they're the first people in in the first 48 hours um, so that you can move on to expanding your circle of reach and reaching new people that might be interested in what you're doing and not playing maintenance on the relationships that you already had, relationships you had before you started the crowdfunding campaign. Does that make any sense to you now it, that you're doing it? It makes total sense to me. Um, one of the things, I mean, I, I did a little bit of that, and we meticulously researched our campaign. We meticulously, like, we did everything right from sort of a technical perspective, um, except for our Amazon payments account. And although I had sort of, you know, started warming up sort of my friends and family kind of relationships, when it looked like our Amazon payments account might not come through, I sort of took my foot off the gas because I didn't want to embarrass myself and say, this thing is coming, this thing is coming, and then have it not happen. Um, that yeah, was a mistake. That was, that was another... Uh you know, not to, uh, I've done it too, but that's what they call a rookie error because it will take 10 to 14 days. And so that's a great thing. If we can pass on to anybody that's, that's setting it up, do not wait. The very first thing you should do is decide where the money's going to go, get the bank account information, consult a CPA, you know, so you know, the tax implications of what you're doing and set it up and get it verified and then draft your campaign because it's the one X factor that you can't control how long it'll take. And it's essential to being live. Like you said, like you were about to pull the trigger and tell people go there, but you weren't assured that it would be open for business. Yeah. So that, that definitely, I mean, we're, we're a nonprofit and there were, we were on a university campus. So there were issues with like our address and we just didn't know, we didn't know if it was going to yeah. happen in time or not. So yeah, I that you know technical glitches like that can affect everything else that you do, and then when you you lose that time, right? And and we knew that we wanted to execute this campaign during the holidays, which made it part of the whole holiday thing. And you know, it just it got I won't say it got nasty, but it, we definitely lost precious time. Um, so we've been sort of talking obliquely about your project, and I, I want to get more into that. So um, tell us a little bit more about this crowdfunding campaign, what it's all about, and how you got it started. 
Sure. And you're very kind to give me any forum because, uh, you know, as you well know, I'm in the thick of it. Um, so I'm anxious for anybody to know about it that doesn't. Um, it's the only passion project that I've felt uh, so uh, strongly about that I wanted to pull the trigger and, and actually do it. And it's a very simple idea. There's a 50-acre historic property in southern Arizona, a part of the country I'm, I'm very much in love with and have a, a long history with, and it was foreclosed. It was put up for auction, and no one bid on it, and then it was owned by a bank in South Carolina uh, where no one at the bank has ever seen it. And so it's a sad, tragic story about a historic property. That's the, the sad part. We're trying to save it with a crowdfunding campaign, and saving it means buying it. And the more exciting part of the idea is that if we're so lucky as to own it, it's going to be owned by a 501c3 nonprofit organization in Arizona that has the sole intent of converting it from an old dude ranch and a resort into a residency and workshop program for artists and scientists, which I am really excited about um, as part of the idea, and designers and anybody really that needs the headspace of a place to have both quiet and communion if you want to engage with other people. So you could think of it like an amazing compound in the middle of a beautiful desert that could be turned into this cultural center. And a big, big part of the idea is that the people that come there and work on things would be able to share the work and the projects that they're doing with the community. And the community is a small rural community. It's, it's several villages separated by a few miles each. And they have very little um, arts education uh, or arts events in, in this place. You know, it's a virtue of the size and the way funding goes. And um, so this would be a, a way that a place could be salvaged and reborn and reimagined and then eventually start giving back to this community, I think, in a really interesting way. So it's, for me, an amazing opportunity. And it wasn't um, something that I went looking for. It was something that found me when I, when I realized what had happened to this place. And I just thought there was an opportunity there. And we were amazingly lucky enough that the bank that owns the place didn't hang the phone up on me when I said, hey, you know, I'm a guy that has an idea to crowdfund and save your historic property. They actually worked with us for several months and we drew up a sales contract and were actually, you know, legally in escrow to buy the property at a pre-negotiated price of $725,000, um, not a small chunk of change. And to be totally honest, because I feel somewhat confessional about this because I want other people to learn from it, I think I naively thought that if we put this idea out into the world, that we would have enough time to build an identity and to engage the imagination of lots of people that might want to see a place like this exist. And I was wholly unprepared for the for the amount of work that a crowdfunding campaign truly requires when you're the go-to person running it. And I underestimated the politics of being a guy that lives in California and who has an idea for something in Arizona and, you know, needs to work very carefully to convince people that our intentions are, are good and, you know, that we have the best interests of this uh, place and the community in mind. And I 
wholly underestimated how busy everybody fucking is. It's Thanksgiving weekend in four or five days. It's Christmas, you know, right after our deadline expires. And even though those were clear dates on the calendar, it surely wasn't um, it wasn't as impactful when we were planning this because we got one shot at it. So, you know, whether it, whether it works or doesn't, and at this point we're 1% funded after uh, two and a half weeks of, of solid work. So, you know, it's hard to think that we'll be able to overcome. I spend every single day, you know, just scheming for anything that I can do that will help uh, you know, give this idea life. And I keep waiting for that magical moment that Kickstarter has where if you're 34% funded, you know, you're 90% uh, likely to succeed, the tipping point, the momentum, and it's not coming. And, you know, I fear that maybe what I'm doing is um, speaking louder and louder, but I'm not saying anything new and I'm not connecting with people. So it's deeply personal and vulnerable when you're, you know, doing this, and I think it's been a great learning experience, whether it succeeds or not, I surely will take a, a greater understanding of the psychological toll that this has um, for people when you when you put an idea out there and you really have to fight to convince people to pay attention to it. And, it, and it's because it, it's a place in the world where maybe half the people that back this will never go. And it's a little like the festival that you mentioned. You're your project that you backed, you know, how do I connect with somebody enough that like you, they had the reaction, oh, wow, that's really cool. And even though I'll never tangibly benefit from that, I still believe in a world where that's a part of it. And I want to see that happen. And right now we have a world where this property will eventually probably crumble. It's in really bad shape. Um, but it's not bad enough that it can't be salvaged. And we keep bringing in people to look at it to tell us that, you know, to say exactly what it will take to fix it and how fast can we have people staying there. And, you know, more interesting to me than the money, which has not been coming in very quickly, um, has been the overwhelming response we've gotten from people wanting to volunteer their time or expertise. So, I may not be getting donors on rally.org, but I'm getting emails from people who say, I'm a retired electrician. I would love to come out there and spend a week and help you fix everything. Well, I don't even know how to put a value on that. That's huge. You know, uh, you know, guys calling and saying, I've got a stable down the road. I'll help you restore your stables, you know, stuff like that. People volunteering to host events there if we get up and running. So it's been really interesting because frankly, the most exciting thing is all of this volunteer help. I won't be able to utilize it and the organization can't benefit from it unless we get through this first phase. And it's an interesting thing to try and form an organization by meeting your single largest challenge as the first thing that it takes on. But, you know, if this organization pulled this off, it would be an organization that would be born in 45 days and would be sitting and owning a property where it would operate from. It's such a unique position and it gives the organization such um, a wonderful opportunity to succeed into the future because not only would it be 
able to operate immediately, it would have the equity of owning this property, which could only gain value over time. And so I see this property in some way as the replacement for an endowment where this organization immediately starts with a healthy financial future. And then everything that we can create after that would be uh, gravy, you know, like finding government granting and private donors and developing a membership program and all the things that you have to do to operate something like this into the future. I can't think of another organization, maybe MARFA, that was born out of this sort of organic acquisition of a place. And, you know, I just think it's a very incredible return on anybody's investment. If you give a dollar or five dollars to this campaign, you know, the potential payoff is that hundreds, if not thousands of different types of guests would be benefiting from a place where they might develop some of the greatest, you know, things that we've ever seen. They might not either, <laughs> you know, but it's a hell of a cool idea. I mean, somebody said it to me today. I said, you know, I'm having trouble raising this money. You know, everybody loves the idea. And she looked at me and she said, what's not to love about it? And I thought, well, that's it. It is a great idea. You know, I just wish that I could find a way to communicate it more effectively or to let people in on what it is that they could be a part of creating, because I feel as if they connect with that. It's sort of irresistible. You know, it's it's what got me interested enough to try and convince all these people to become a part of it. And now I'm responsible for the outcome, um, which I feel heavily. But, you know, that is the project I'm working on, and uh, there will be plenty of time to look back and, and see if I uh, created it poorly. But it's a very vulnerable thing to consider yourself a crowdfunding expert and then, uh, you know, put put yourself out there on a campaign of this size and have it going slowly is um, definitely a challenge for me. You know, I, I feel personally... Um, confounded to get out of it with success. But I, I also totally committed to pushing it until the final moments. And I'm often reminded of Ted Hope, uh, you know, at LAFF one time, somebody said, how'd you become such an expert with this uh, social media, new technology stuff? And he was like, I wasn't afraid to fail. And so I just tried anything. And I thought, well, that is sort of where I'm at with this project. You know, I'm going to try just about anything at this point because all the well-laid plans that I had um, have had the effect that I wanted, which is they've, they've introduced people to the concepts, I think, of what we were trying to do. But I'm not sure that they have worked in terms of creating this fan relationship with people where they really want to see the idea happen. Um, you know, that's not to diminish anybody who's been supporting it so far. That's that's truthfully the most honest thing I've said about it since uh, since we began. But it's an interesting point that you ask me about it, because we've got exactly three weeks left as of tonight. And, um, you know, people would people would definitely question whether or not it can be done. So certainly I'm attracted to the idea that we can pull it off because it would be the greatest comeback since Lazarus. Well, when you swing, you, you swing big, Joe. Yeah, people have been reminding me of that, Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because there's an advisor to Sundance, Joan Darling, and uh, she's been like an advisor there, you know, almost every summer, I think. But the 
her famous thing that everybody walks away with after they have a meeting with her is, you know, you can't hit a home run without taking a full swing. So uh, win or lose, this is definitely a full swing project. I mean, you know, people were very skeptical that this would even be possible. And now I respect their skepticism. <laughs> but, but I was eternally optimistic, and I still am. I really do believe there, there might be a way to pull it off. Well, uh, for what it's worth, I, you know, I believe in it too. I think, uh, you know, I don't know if you modeled this after any other art centers or anything, but it, it, and you mentioned Marfa, Texas before. Um, Marfa was what I was thinking of when I, when I saw the, the video that you put together and, um, just like, you know, this is a place that's obviously very special to him. Um, and that's the connection that I, I think you're looking for in, in most other people. Um, the question is how to get past that initial friction. And I don't, I don't want to turn this into a, uh, from, you know, a very open conversation about vulnerability and the, the emotions of crowdfunding into a technical conversation. But I do wonder um, how you feel about the the restrictions or maybe the problems that you're faced by the platform that I won't say forced to use, but that circumstances led you to choose rally is not something I'd ever heard of before. Yeah. Um, and I know Kickstarter has certain restrictions on what you can and can't do. So can you talk a little bit about how you came to your decision about which platform to use and, and what the circumstances were? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to be very honest about it. Um, you know, certainly, uh, because I've worked primarily with Kickstarter as the funding platform, you know, based on the relationship that we had at Sundance, I would have loved to use Kickstarter, um, if only because of my own familiarity and faith in it. Um, that That's definitely true. And what I respect most about Kickstarter, to be totally honest, is how diehard they've been about having values. And ever since the beginning of the company, it was clear that the people behind it were value-driven, and they thought carefully about certain things that the platform did and didn't do. And one of the things that they initially decided was that they wanted it to be for creative funding, meaning for creativity as it's most broadly understood and not for causes and nonprofits and um, capital campaigns and things that were already represented in the culture. Um, this type of creative funding was not represented in the culture in a way that they made possible. So my admiration is eternal to Kickstarter. That being said, I wanted to use crowdfunding. I knew I had to use crowdfunding. I didn't have $725,000. And, you know, I've put a significant amount of my own money into this campaign very willingly and proudly to get it started. But I won't likely make it back. And I needed a partner. And instead of using, you know, one of these uh, platforms where I wouldn't be able to call the person that ran it, I wanted to be able to talk to somebody and, and have them be a partner in what I was trying to do because I saw it as a civic project and I needed more than just a way to collect people's money. And Rally was very interesting. I love their name. I love the brand. I think the the action item that they're all about is, you know, perfect for the space. And I liked the way that their layout worked. And I also loved 
the simplicity of their contribution, you know, user interface. So there were a ton of things that I still feel very strongly that they do extremely well. As a newcomer to the block, it's the second time that I've used a platform that wasn't Kickstarter, and I'm learning how how valuable Kickstarter's built-in community is. The fact that so many people have now contributed to Kickstarter and the fact that they're familiar and they trust it and they know it and they understand it means that there's a lot less that you have to get through in terms of convincing somebody to, as I said earlier, click those four or five buttons to actually make a pledge to what it is that you're up to. And so we know that there are less people that use Rally. Rally knows that, you know, that that's not a, that's a known fact. And I think that, you know, I could have benefited on this campaign probably from a larger built-in community. They have been terrific. They've been amazing about helping us. They give us suggestions. They've, you know, we have an individual relationship with, with them and they've been partners on it. And it's been an enormous help. We're struggling for other reasons. It's not because of Rally. Our campaign has been fatigued with not enough people dealing with all the complex issues. At the same time that we're trying to raise the money, we're also trying to give birth to this organization. We're trying to set up future forms of funding. We're thinking about public programming. We're taking applications for residencies. There's too much going on right now for any small group of people to tangibly manage at an expert level, but it has nothing to do with rally. You know, Kickstarter doesn't allow you to raise money for causes, and they also explicitly do not allow you to raise money to purchase real estate. So right off the bat, it wasn't even worth a friend phone call to see if I could squeeze the project through. You may have seen today on Kickstarter, uh, they alerted Hal Hartley that he cannot uh, grant distribution rights as a reward on his campaign. And that was a interesting thing that he was doing that many people were talking about and they've shut him down. And, you know, the Kickstarter machine will take campaigns offline that don't meet the terms of service. And so the worst thing in my mind would be to launch a campaign like this for Rex Ranch and then have it, you know, removed from one funding platform and have to scramble to put it up on another. So for all those reasons and, and probably some more, uh, we chose to work with Rally and, you know, we're trying it. And I'm encouraged because I have heard from several people that don't know it, that it was an easy system to use. And that's exactly what we wanted to hear. Um, the interesting thing with my campaign is the place where Rex Ranch um lives, the actual location, uh, the demographic of the region is much uh, closer to retirement age. You know, it's a little bit elder compared to uh, many parts of the country. And the bulk of our donations that we've received have been by check, something I never would have imagined. We just, as a last minute uh, thought, set up a P.O. box to collect uh, donations by mail. And we've actually received more money through check donations than we've received online. And there is no way for the checks to be reflected in the online giving. And so I think that there's a perception that we're doing maybe a little bit um, worse than we actually are, but it's because we have this whole other uh, you know, form of funding that I personally never in the beginning anticipated would be as large a component of our overall um, campaign as it's ended up being. So a lot of different things I've learned, um, you know, I would say 
if somebody was considering a campaign like this one, the Rex Ranch campaign, which is not a traditional creative project, but something different, um, really do your research and make a decision right at the last minute based on which of these non-reward-based platforms is growing the most, whether it's Crowdfunder, whether it's Rally, whether it's Rocket Hub, whether it's any of the ones that are um, Razu is another one, you know, whether it's any of them, take a look at who's the biggest at that moment. And I think if you're looking for an easy way to make the decision, go with the one that has the largest user base, because that can't help but benefit your chances for success. And I hope very strongly that Rally doesn't disagree with me, but you know, that is the truth of how I see it um, with a little bit of perspective. Gotcha. So Rex Ranch, uh, the idea, the, the retreat, the art center, the, what you want it to be, is it Rex Ranch, the place, or if this doesn't come through, are you looking to do it, you know, at another property? Like how, how, how much longevity does this have for you personally and how much of it is tied up in this property? Well, thanks for throwing me the softball there, Chris. <laughs> I'm, I know you, you have put yourself out there, and I'm no, really interested so in, in knowing, you know, how sure. much of it, how much of it is about the idea of it in your head, and how much of it is about your attachment to this place. That's you know an important question. No, you, I think it is, and and you're 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 you know, in line of people who've asked me. And it's been interesting because I, I just never would have thought of that question before I started this, but it's a natural question. Um, I have a, a deep affection for this place specifically. I feel very strongly that to recreate the patina and the history and the opportunity of this property to say that we like this idea, but we're going to go find 50 empty acres in the desert and create it. There's no comparison for me the history of this place specifically is part of what makes it so special. We're not making this place special. It's been special and it will always be special as long as it exists. So I want to tap into that. And I'm not as interested, honestly, in pursuing any other iteration of the idea. And I've tried to be honest with people that I would be open to it if the community of donors told us to do it. But my personal passion is for this place. And the reason why is because this idea can walk right through the front gates and become a reality. And this idea born of another place and of another uh, type of project is going to take years to develop. And I'm impatient. I want to start helping people and giving them this opportunity as soon as humanly possible. And, you know, 32 guest rooms on this 50-acre property and 10 of them right now, thank God, only need a paint job and some new furniture and a cleanup. And we can have people staying and working there, you know, by July of next year. And that's the, and I want to beat that. I want to have people maybe in April or May, you know, I don't want to wait. I want to get people out there because the whole idea won't live until there are people on the grounds working and developing ideas and having fellowship with each other. That's the basic construct. And so many people are asking me about the plan B because, as I told you, we're three weeks away and we have a, a hella long way to go. And um, 
I'm not going to think about it until we're finished with this phase because I still believe in this phase and um, stubbornly I want to see it through. And there will be a time when we can have a, a you know, board meeting after this is done and we're going to put it out to the community and we're going to let them vote. And, you know, the survey monkey form is ready to go. And we're going to ask people, what should we do with the money that we raised? And and I really respect the hive mind on this. And if they want us to keep going, I will. But right now, I want to save that beautiful place that needs to be preserved. And it also is a turnkey chance to make this idea a reality. And, you know, that's what I hope people see is the opportunity of this. Um this is once in a lifetime that you could sweep in and grab a place like this and create something like this. And, you know, that's what I hope connects with people is, holy cow, you know, if we just give a little bit of money, we can create this awesome place. And I think half the people that would give money to this idea could eventually come and enjoy it. You know, uh, that's the whole idea of whether you're a guest or you come with a project or you come as an observer or any number of roles that you could play. I really believe that if you give to this project, we'll be open for business and someday you can come visit Rex Ranch and touch and feel and see exactly what you helped create with your tiny contribution. And, you know, to me, that's, you know, it's why I am going to keep going because I believe in that idea. I didn't go out and try and cultivate a bunch of relationships with high net worth individuals. I, I'm trying to connect with the broadest international group of people and say, hey, you're a part of the creative community. Don't you think this is a great idea? Don't you think this is a cool opportunity? Guess what? It's super cheap. We can get this place. You know, all I'm asking is for the community to birth it. Once we birth it, we can move into all those traditional ways of uh, raising capital for the operating funds and the renovation. I have tons of ideas of where other money can come from. I got a phone call from, I swear to God, the University of Arizona Fine Arts Department has a Hanson Film Center. And the woman who runs it found me today and said, we can offer you money. All you have to do is, you know, succeed and we'll help you fund some programs. So I know that the money to keep it going into the future and to um, address all of the needs, I know where that can come from. But I need some type of army to emerge and create the way that we can do it. And the only way is if we raise the money by the 16th. Now people are saying, can you renegotiate? Can you get more time? Well, relative to what we're up against now, maybe we can renegotiate for another two to three weeks. But the alternative is if I'm not successful and we don't find a way to raise this money by December 16th, this property goes back on public auction. And the truth is that now after our campaign, I probably have run a 45-day marketing campaign for somebody else to sweep in and buy this property because nobody thought it had value. And we've shown a lot of light on what the value of it is. And at the end of the day, I'd be happy with that because it would mean that the property was preserved and that it wasn't going to crumble away. I really would. It'd be tough to swallow, but I would be happy with that um, because it addressed the first thing that we identified, which is this is a special place. It's historic. It has real value and it shouldn't be lost. And so it's a complex project. You know, I understand that. I, I really didn't when I started it. But now that we've been through 
um, all of this work, I really, you know, appreciate what we took on. And I think we took the big swing, as you, you know, said, and it could be a strike. Well, I, I believe in plan A, Joe. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I really do. I mean, you, you may not think it, but it means a lot to me. <laughs> uh, let's, you keep saying we, I want to talk about who the we is in this case. You've got a, uh, you know, a team of people who have signed on as advisors and campaigners and rally allows you to like sort of recruit people into your army, um, which is really actually kind of unique. Uh, can you talk about who those people are and, and what they're doing to, to help out with this? Sure. I'm enormously lucky and also um, in constant disbelief that I was able to convince a lot of really smart, important people to lend support to the Save Rex Ranch idea. That's a miracle to me, and I'm eternally grateful to every one of them, because when I asked them for their help, this was nothing more than a one-sheet you know, idea that I was just beginning to develop and they lent their faith and support in it. And it's only grown. And, and if anything, I've been vindicated by how many people have stepped forward to say they would help or they would offer more assistance. So I think the idea has captured a broader imagination and that's because of the people involved. Um, when you need help, you turn to the people you trust the most. And all of those people that are on that list, with a few new exceptions, um, who I hope will become friends of mine, are, you know, people I've known for several years. And I've, and I know their work and I know them personally. And I, and I ask them to, um, lend their support by saying that they believe in the idea and nothing more. And that would help me, um, you know, present the idea to the world. And, since that first baby step, I've gotten so much more involvement from everyone than I ever anticipated. So I not only get ideas and prompts and connections and um, offers for future types of assistance, but I get their moral and um, social support. You know, they're, they're vocal about helping us achieve this goal, and that's great. Pragmatically, we have a board of directors for the nonprofit, and I'm the only outsider, and that's very much by design. So I'm the project uh, volunteer director, and I'm steering the ship, and I've conceptualized a lot of the first structures of this idea. But then I have four colleagues that are all local residents and have a wealth of experience with the nonprofit sector who are also on this board of directors. And I've known three of them for 14 years. So they're very close friends of mine. We had talked, the, the local friends and I, many years ago about a similar idea for a similar property. It was a property that in retrospect, you know, wouldn't have ever worked as beautifully for this idea as Rex Ranch does. But we had um, pursued something in a very uh, early stage. And we got to a point with this other property where we, we could not um, get a flood insurance quote for it because it was sitting right on the Santa Cruz River in southern Arizona. And it had flooded miserably, you know, over the years like catastrophic floods. And so no, nobody would insure it. And so that's a deal breaker. And you walk away and you say, well, this is never going to work there. Um, Rex, Rex Ranch is not a property like that. Um, it's a property that could still be salvaged so easily if we were able to get in there in the next couple uh, months and start, you know, working and preserving this great space. Um, so we took some of that history and moved it over, but we weren't looking for this. You know, in other words, I feel very strongly that Rex Ranch, you know, if it has a spiritual identity, 
it was reaching out to us and saying, what a great idea, you know, help, help, you know, get people in here. I mean, it's really tragic. I know some people love this DK porn where you go and you look at buildings like in Detroit and you see how, you know, um, amazingly deteriorated they are. But when you walk around these grounds and you see this place falling apart, it really does speak to you in a kind of, you know, emotional way. And, and you feel like you don't want to see this happen. And, you know, everyone who's visited it has had the same experience. They just see it filled with activity because it's such a cool, you know, spot. And it's clear that it would inspire people in a very meaningful way. So, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. You know, we had a chance and, and we took it and, um, I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing it that way that it may not succeed. And, um, it's okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm as anxious to write my top 10, you know, what I learned from this as I would be to shoot some fireworks off if we actually pull it off. Um, because I think either way, you know, I want to give something back from this experience if I feel that it's worth sharing. So this is a chance to do that talking with you. And I really appreciate it. Well, I don't want that top 10 list yet. <laughs> I, I, I want, you know, I want the top 10 list of things that you would have done differently, but it succeeded anyway. So let's, let's, uh, let's cross our fingers on that one. Um, I am interested though in, you know, in your experience with this and your experience with the folks at Sundance you've worked with about, um, maybe one or two things that you've seen, um, as missed opportunities, as things that filmmakers ought to be doing in their campaigns, but for the most part, really aren't. Well, it's going to be hard for anybody to take me seriously at this point in, <laughs> in terms of that. But I will uh, – one one thing that I think is, is very interesting um, in terms of many people don't trust it at first. They think it's a little cheesy. But what we notice really connects uh, with people in terms of Kickstarter and the rewards or Indiegogo and the reward system are um, experiential, uh, you know, offerings, things that are not physical or tangible but are more one of a kind. So, you know, these types of rewards that you that you sometimes see where you can have lunch with a producer or a director or you can visit the set or better yet you can be an extra or you know you get involved somehow there's there's some kind of a tangible experience that you might be able to have i would encourage people to not dismiss those types of ideas even if they think oh that's so cheesy who would want to have lunch with me well you know a lot of people might, especially if you have experiences, you know, um, we all remember being young and not knowing much and the opportunity to talk to somebody or to meet somebody or to see a film get made. It's not as common for many people as it might be for us. And so maybe don't dismiss some of those ideas because they are really interesting to other people and they seem to do very well on you know, these platforms. Um, I think a lot of people worry all the time and try and create these, these bundles of rewards that are as valuable as the donation. And I know Kickstarter famously says we're not a store and that's a good message to have, but don't worry so much about the value of what you're offering because people wouldn't be giving to you if they didn't think ultimately that a dollar or so was going into your pocket. Otherwise, what's the point? 
So, you know, if the DVD costs $19 and you're charging 20 because you're afraid to charge more, um, that I think is also a, a kind of rookie error. You know, people need to, to connect with you and they understand that some of their money is going to go to benefiting you. They, they don't think that every dollar they give you should be translatable into a physical product or a good. Um, you know, I remember Andy Timona ran her campaign on Kickstarter and the reward that I think was most taken, um, in the final weeks was, uh, an invitation to a party that she would throw. And she would just promise to get interesting people there. And, you know, you had to be in LA, I think, to be a part of it. And, you know, that was what people were attracted to. That's not a t-shirt and it's not a bumper sticker. Obviously it's an experience. And so those two things, I think are flip sides of the same issue when you first come to crowdfunding. But if, if I had a recommendation, I would, I would say focus on those and don't be afraid to, to give people experiences because they seem to really want them. And rally, you know, is not rewards based. And that's been one of the struggles that I've had because we have a lot of great ideas and things that I feel would incentivize people to maybe get interested in us but there's not a clean mechanism for offering that in, in the same way as Kickstarter or Indiegogo. I'm not saying it would have made the difference. I'm not sure that it would have, but it would have been nice to, you know, right now I'm just asking people to donate. I can't really give them anything in return other than the goodwill of being a part of it. And I do think that, you know, one of the cool things as we started talking about maybe before you hit record was your um, Atlanta Kickstarter and the very cool things that you were offering, you know, and they were experiences, um, you know, being a part of your short film deliberation, being able to participate for wherever you live in the Atlanta Film Festival. That's that's a different type of reward. And you conceived something I think is really cool. Um, so it's an example, I think, of the type of thinking that people should apply and you know, that would be a bit of advice um, based on all the campaigns I've seen. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Um, and that was a very nice way of turning the question into a compliment of your, on your interviewer. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> no, but we, we very specifically, we like that reward level. We, uh, $25 is the most, you know, common reward level, like the average reward level that people choose. Um, so we wanted to make that something special. And we also wanted to make it something that people who were not in Atlanta could take a part of. And that yeah. sort of jumped out at us as, as a possibility. Um, so we're, we're super excited about that. Um, and the fact that the direct result of that vote is that we will fly that filmmaker to Atlanta to receive that award, I think makes it even more exciting. Yeah. And it, and it's, you, you priced it perfectly. You described it perfectly. I, you know, really man compliments because it's, it's not easy to do. You know, um, you see every day examples of bad kind of ill thought things and yours are very thoughtful. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, your, your campaign is also very thoughtful. And so now, you know, when I ask people to, support our campaign. I'm like, have you heard of Rex Ranch? Cause that's, you know, oh, man. I think, uh, you know, there's a, a lot to, uh, you know, a lot to be learned there. I know you've learned a lot. 
Well, let me let me go interview style then and flip it on you. If you were looking at our campaign, I'd really love to know, like, what's one pivot you think we could do right now that might that might help provoke some activity? Um, well, I haven't, you know, I've, I've only been a backer for a day or two. Okay. Um, and I haven't, so I, I haven't seen what outreach you've done. Uh, but, you know, if you're doing regular updates to your, um, to your folks, that, that's good. I, I have seen, I know you're, you did, you did a video that you're in and that's sort of your plea video and you've got some footage of the place. You know, you keep talking about how beautiful, how special, and this, and I'm not seeing a lot of that on the site. Okay, that's um, good feedback. And, you know, I mean, you have, you know, filmmakers in your stable, I'm sure, who, I mean, it's probably a little late notice now, but, you know, when you're trying to communicate the sense of a place, um, yep. you know, you you got to show people. It's show, don't tell. Okay. Um, okay. So that I think I think pictures and video where possible are super super important. Cool. Well, I'm headed back there this weekend, so I will take that to heart and see what I can do to help um uh make it more uh you know, three-dimensional for people. Yeah, I w- I would shoot the heck out of that place. Like, okay. Fill cool. up your phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Man, that's great. If you if you think of anything else, you know, let me know. I mean, honestly, like uh, nothing that you you know might think of uh, w- will be old to us. You know, we're 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 just running the thing. So sometimes when you can't see it from the outside, people who are looking from the outside, like you, you know, that's a great note. I'll, I will take that to heart. Well, uh, I think that's yeah, that that's a big one for everybody is ask for outside advice because you you're you're too far in it to know what's going on joe thank you so much for for joining us and imparting all this wisdom i think uh, i got a lot out of it um and i know that other folks will too you've been listening to episode 15 of the film festival secrets podcast again my name is chris holland and you can check out the rex ranch project at rexranch.org and you can check out uh, AtlantaFilmFestival.com for our Kickstarter project. Uh, thanks for listening. And if you have any questions, uh, be sure to send them over to Chris at FilmFestivalSecrets.com.